So John 5, 25, um, I'll give just a little bit uh, from last week to set a, a context for this morning. So at the be- um, and really I want to go back further than that because really, remember just from the beginning of the book, remember um, that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Um, and so through this Word, everything was created. So we have um, Christ as the Creator and then he is the light who has come um, into the world. And so early on in John, we see um, his you know, first disciples come um, to follow him. We have an interaction in John chapter 3 with um, a ruler of the Jewish people, a religious l- ruler named Nicodemus, um, who comes to him, to, and he's a, a sincere you know, seeker um, of truth. Um, and Jesus has to show him his, his ignorance and then, and then also show who he is um, and that Nicodemus needs to orient his life um, around the one who was, was sent to give us life. Um, and then in chapter 4, you have the woman at the well and Jesus knows everything about her. Um, she's a Samaritan woman. Um, again, there's, um, you know, her, her religious and cultural beliefs, and then there is the truth. And so Jesus has to, you know, shift her thinking from her religious and cultural beliefs to the truth. And he does so by exposing the sin that's um, in her own life, uh, her own difficulties, um, some of that is, you know, the sins she's committed. Other that is the sins that have been committed to her that have caused her pains, and then she's reacted, um, of course. And so he um, ends up spending some time in Samaria, and many Samaritans also come to believe that Jesus is, you know, the Messiah. Chapter 5, we have this shift back over to where Jesus basically looks for um, an opportunity to have confrontation uh, with the religious leaders. Um, he does so for the good of Israel, for the potential for, the, for even the religious leaders to shift their thinking, um, and he does so ultimately in preparation for the cross when the time um, is right, but the time isn't, isn't now. And so... He heals a man who for 38 years had been lame, and he tells that man, pick up your mat, you know, and, and go. And the man picks up his mat and goes, and then you know, the religious um, leaders who again had added things on even to the law of Moses. And there's a, I mean, you go back and read the law of Moses, there's a lot to follow. You know, there's the moral law, then there's all these ceremonial laws, and... You know, people seem to never be content to have enough law. You kind of have to add, you know, keep adding more, right? Um, and so, you know, they had, you know, rules about not carrying your, your mat from a public place back to your house on the Sabbath day. 
something you shouldn't do. Um, and what's cool, you know, I was just thinking about this um, this morning. Um, we have, uh, you know, physical therapists in, 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 our, in our church, and we're, we're thankful to have them because many times they help us, help us out and tell us what we need to do with, as our, our bodies start to break down. Um, so when Jesus, think about this. Jesus told the man who for 38 years couldn't walk, and he doesn't just heal him of like, okay, now if you do a lot of physical therapy, you can get better. With your, you know, the atrophy in the muscles after 38 years of non-use. And it's like, this man is able just to get up and walk. I didn't talk about that last week. I was just thinking about it, like, how powerful of a healing, you know, it was. And, you know, Jesus came for a specific mission. And I, I was thinking about this, this is just a little bit humorous, just to think about for a second. Like, whatever you do that is honorable work, you know, obviously things that aren't sins, but, but honorable work, like... Aren't you glad Jesus, you know, didn't just like decide to set up a business, you know, next to you? Because how could you compete? You know, <laughs> like it doesn't matter what business it was, like account it. Well, his numbers are always accurate, you know, always perfect. There are no errors. Like, you know, no matter what it was, he would do it the absolute best. But we're but we have the benefit that what he came to do was for our absolute best. And he came to serve us. Um, and so, you know, he ends up in this confrontation that we looked at um, last week in John uh, chapter 5. And I'm going to pull up just to read a, a few verses from where we were last week for context. And that'll... Um, That'll help us. So, let's pull this right here. So, John 5, and just, Jesus has healed the man. He goes, and it was a Sabbath day in verse 9. Verse 10, to the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now. And I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. I'm going to stop there just for a minute just to remind us that, you know, there are many people when you have conversations with different people, you know, they'll say things, some, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, I mean, did Jesus really claim to be God? I mean, or they'll just say, I mean, but Jesus didn't actually claim to be God. I mean, people just kind of put that onto him kind of after the fact, right? Now, there's one of two options when that sort of statement is made. That statement is made either out of ignorance that the person hasn't actually you know, read the Gospels, or, you know, so there's a, 
and ignorance to what Jesus said. You know, perhaps they've just, you know, they heard some other person say that. Perhaps a person in authority. Perhaps they heard a professor say, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. You know, they heard that and then went, oh, well, my professor doesn't know what he's talking about or what she's talking about. And then, you know, be in that place of ignorance and then may repeat that ignorance. The, the other side is that there's a malicious, um, you know, intent there or, you know, a, a reason that there's a great reason to deny that Jesus claimed to be God. Because if, he, if he's claiming to be God, then what are the options? If Jesus claims to be God, what are the options? And, you know, C.S. Lewis gives that, you know, to us very clearly. There's three options. He's, he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. Right? So, if the claim is there, then that claim has to be dealt with, and it can only be dealt with in terms of First, truth, true or false, and then if false, either intentionally or unintentionally false. Those are the only ways to deal with, with a truth claim like that of Jesus. So one way people try to avoid that is just to be like, well, he never really claimed it. Well, if somebody says he didn't really claim it, you've got John chapter 5 and, and more to follow that you can show the, no, Jesus actually was, was serious about this. And so, and the Jewish people at that time, the Jewish religious leaders specifically, they understood his claim, and that's why they wanted him dead. You know, without that claim, they're not going through all that trouble to put him, to see him put to death. But the fact that he made himself equal to God, in their view, was blasphemy. And again, it either was blasphemy or it wasn't. You know, when there's a claim to be God, I mean, it is either you know a the greatest truth claim ever, or it's as bad of a lie as a person could possibly tell. Those are the options. And so we'll just read 19 through 24. He says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he he wishes, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's so key. To have eternal life, to not come into judgment, but to pass from death into life. There's, there's a scriptural understanding that without Christ, you are in a place of death, which means you know, that's obviously not a physical death, but a spiritual death. And death in the scripture can be simply defined, defined as separation. Just like in physical death, your body 
and your spirit are separated one from the other. In spiritual death, a person is separated from God. And so they're in a place of judgment, a place of condemnation. But when, they, when a person who is in that death then passes into life. You see, it, it, it's, it, it's interesting because physically, a person, you know, life is created, right? Life is born, and then life continues on until death, physical separation of spirit and body in terms of how things work because of, of sin. But spiritually, you start dead. Okay, that's your starting point. Now, because we believe because God is merciful and compassionate and we have reasoning in the scripture to say, you know, you're not accountable for your sin until you have a certain ability of understanding. And so, you know, sometimes people want to put a very specific, like, age number on that. Thankfully, I believe, you know, God, um, you know, isn't expecting everyone to mature at the same, or every child to mature at the same rate. And, you know, some people with um, different disabilities may not progress to that point of understanding. So, God is, is, is merciful, but my point there is, you start dead, spiritually. And then you can, but you, through Jesus, you can pass from death into life. You don't go from life to life. You go from death to life is what the scripture says. You pass out of death into life. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll, we'll finish chapter, 20, chapter 5. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your love and for your word and for your goodness um, to us. And help us to understand your word and to um, rightly discern it and understand it and to apply it um, to our lives and help us to share your great love with others because certainly Jesus you are worthy in your precious name amen it says verse 25 Jesus's words truly truly I say to you an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own initiative as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Um, so let's stop there for a minute and talk about, again, these, these resurrections. Jesus says there's going to come a time... There's an hour that is coming where all who in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who did evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, there are people who read these verses and say, wait, wait, wait. 
So this, it, it is about good works then, right? I mean, those who do good things get life, and those who do bad things get judgment. And if you, you, know, if you only had that scripture to, to go by, you might come to that conclusion. But again, you have context. The, first, just the context of what Jesus is saying in that chapter. He's already talked about it being about faith. But then as you go back to John chapter 4, John chapter 3, John chapter 1, you know, it's all about faith. And as you continue on, it's about faith. You know, John chapter 3 is, is so incredibly clear that this is, you know, condemnation. You know, that, that the light has come into the world, but men did not receive it because their deeds were evil. Like, so it's very clear um, that people are condemned because they have not believed in the, only, the name of the only begotten Son of God. Um, you know, that's all there. It comes back to that faith. But there is a reality here. There is a reality where this is, this is true. What Jesus is saying here is true. Because those who have come to faith in Jesus are going to be changed by him and they will do good. A person cannot say, I believe in Jesus and continue just to you know, go forward in evil and to live a life that is defined by bad works. Like That doesn't work. Jesus changes. It's a person's a new creation. They're going to do new things. There's going to be evidence. There's going to be fruit. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Like There is going to be fruit and evidence of a life that is in Christ. And then Jesus continues from there and talks about that he is, again, he is the one to judge. Jesus as judge. You remember, you know, we talk a lot about Jesus as Savior. We talk about Jesus as king. We, we you know, probably talk a lot less about Jesus as, as judge. Though as, in terms of, you know, that judgment comes under that kingly type role, you know, that he has. So in a certain sense, when we're talking about Jesus being savior and king, as long as you understand that part of the, his deal is, as king is to judge, but we should probably just remember as well, just a little bit even like distinctly, Jesus is judge, Jesus is savior, Jesus is king, Jesus is judge. You know, now, normally that's not something you hear a whole lot about, Jesus as, as judge, because that doesn't sound as pleasant to us as Jesus as, as savior. And we are right to emphasize the savior part but not to leave out the judge part. Like we've emphasized the savior part because we want to, people to know he's your, he, you know, he can be your savior. He can save you. So we want people to understand that. So we rightly emphasize it. But the question a lot of times then is save from what? You know, and, and certainly you can say save from a, a wide array of things, right? You know, to be saved from, you know, a life in, in ignorance of God is a big thing. 
to be saved from a futile life, a wasted life, you know, just living for yourself or, or for what people have said is important, like to be saved from that and to live for God and to live for eternal things, like that's, that's something to be, that's valuable, that's something to be saved from. But there's also a, savement, a saving from the, of the judgment of God. And what is wonderfully true is that God is the only one who can save you from God's judgment. Because he's the one who's ultimately powerful, loving, holy, and just. He's the only one, the only one that can save you from the right judgment of God is God himself. And that's why Jesus came to die and why there's such a great emphasis on Jesus as the sacrifice. And that's why there's so much emphasis in the, in the law of Moses on sacrifice. Because there would be one who would come to be the ultimate sacrifice. Talk more about that in a minute. But then in verse 33, he says, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the t testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a, a while in his light. Re willing to rejoice for a little in his light. So, he... he you know, he had just said, there's another who testifies about me. And then he's talking about John, but that's not the one he's ultimately talking about who testifies about him. He's going to talk about the father is the one who testifies about him. But he, he starts with John. He says, you, you have sent to John. He has testified to the truth. Well, what did John say? John said that it's, it's not him. It's, it, you know, that's the one they should be looking for. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But he says this, I say these things, he says the testimony I receive is not from man. Like Jesus doesn't need any, any other, like just mere mortal human, even a prophet, to validate him. And he's clear about that. He doesn't need to be validated by John. But, he says, but I say these things so that you may be saved. See, here's the compassion of Jesus. These same people who wanted to kill him, he's saying, I'm saying this so that you can be saved. This is love for one's enemies. These people were enemies of Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And, and we need to be really careful that we do not um, shrink back from the confrontation that is between these, the religious leaders of the day of Jesus, the primary religious leaders, and Jesus himself, because they sought to kill him, as the scripture says. And yet Jesus says, I'm remi he's reminding them about John. Why? So that they would, they would have an opportunity for salvation, that they would have an opportunity, just as he had talked about, to pass from death unto life. Because those, the majority of those religious leaders with few exceptions like Nicodemus 
are, are on the pathway to hell. They created a system, and their system eliminated faith in God and, and purity of heart before God and you know, promoted themselves. Think about Jesus' accusations against them that their, their hearts were dark, ultimately, that they were a brood of vipers, that they were, you know, they put burdens, unnecessary burdens, you know, on people, that they were blind guides leading the blind. Like, he, you know, really puts it to them, but not, again, it's not an I gotcha, it's a I gotcha so that you can be saved, so you can have an opportunity to recognize the difference between the religious game that you're playing and the spiritual life that you have opportunity to have. And then, so he has the witness of John. The witness of works is next. He says, but the testimony which I have given is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Now, so far, Jesus has recorded the turning of the water into wine. He's recorded you know, this um, you know, lame uh, man who he healed so that he can you know, have this conversation with the religious leaders at this time. Um, there's, there's other miracles that Jesus has done at this point, and he's going to do more. So he has a testimony of John, the, the testimony of his works, and then he says in verse 37, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither, neither, neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he has sent. So, again, we have the Father's testimony uh, you know, in the Gospels, at the baptism of Jesus, ultimately at the transfiguration of Jesus, and then you know, at, the, at the cross. All of those are going to testify, you know, the Father testifying about the Son. But he, again, he says, you haven't heard. You know, you, and, and really, I think what he's getting there is you haven't heard with spiritual ears and you haven't seen with spiritual eyes. And you do not have his word abiding in you. And then what's the evidence of that? For you do not believe in him who, has, who he has sent. Jesus is saying, because it's evidence, because you don't believe in me, that you don't believe the Father. So that's his third and then in verse 39, check this one. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. So he's going to use the testimony of scripture. Now, imagine this. These people who are studying the law of Moses all the time, who could probably quote you know, large portions of it, from memory, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he doesn't tell them that they're wrong to search the scriptures. He doesn't tell them that they're, they're wrong to think that in there there's eternal life. 
but he's telling them they missed the point because he says, it is these that testify about me. Now, again, that claim, Jesus said, you've got your Torah, you've got the first five books, the law, you know, you've got the law of Moses, it's about me. That's an all or nothing claim, folks. That's an all or nothing claim. And I, and I think sometimes, you know, people can kind of have this tendency to go, well, you know, I'm not a Jewish person, you know, so like what, what you know, how big of a deal are these claims really, you know, to, to me, like as a non-Jewish person, as a Gentile? Like, I mean, I never followed the law anyway. I never did all these ceremonial things. I never, you know, we didn't do all that stuff. We didn't celebrate Passover. We didn't, all these things, right? All those things are wonderful for our faith because they give the evidence, because they testify of who Jesus is. And if it's not true, if, if this isn't true for the Jewish people, then it's also not true for the Gentiles, for all of us as well. Like if Jesus was lying to them, he's lying to you and to me. But if he's telling the truth to them, he's also telling the truth to you and to me that the scriptures that really all the law and the prophets are about Christ. Even today, you know, go say that in an Orthodox community here or in, in Israel. You, you're, that's not going to be like, oh, that's really great news to hear. You're going to have a, a, a room full of very angry people at you it is likely the case. Unless there is a great move of the Spirit of God in that situation, the normal natural response is going to be today as it was then. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Again, Jesus has already said, I'm telling you this so that you could be saved. And then he's telling, but you know, you're unwilling. And I and know we have this whole thing about, you know, with salvation and the sovereignty of God and human responsibility and, and all of that. And I think what we see in John chapter, chapters 5 and 6 is, is both God's work and human responsibility. They're both at play. And if you eliminate either, you know, you do some disservice you know, to the scriptures. But Jesus says, you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Whose responsibility? And it was their responsibility. And then Jesus says in verse 41, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. That is as, I mean, again, only, only Jesus can say that with such certainty and power because he knows the hearts of men and women, as we've already seen. He knows the hearts of all. And he says, you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. 
If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's just strong. Again, he said he knows their hearts. He knows, hey, you'll receive one another. Like one of you says, you know, I've got this teaching, I've got this understanding, you'll just accept it. And he talks about knowing their hearts and that they seek, that they receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. And, and, and really, the question there is, still, is really important. It's a really an important question today. Like, are, are we looking just to receive from other people, hey, great job. Let's honor you. Or we, do we want God to be pleased with our service? Like, what is our, our motivation? What's the heart motivation? And ultimately, who do we want to receive the glory? You know, do we want to receive glory from, from people or do we want God to receive glory from people? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So yes, we're supposed to let our light shine, the light of Jesus in us. We're supposed to let it shine, but not so that people will say, oh, great job and honor us, but so that we have the privilege and opportunity to point people to God and say, give the glory to God. Our brothers and sisters in Mexico all the time say, when you, when you give them thanks for something, they say, gracias a Dios. Thank, thank God or Gloria. A lot of times I say that, glory, adios. Glory to God. Like give God the glory. And that should be our hearts. You know, that shouldn't just be a catchphrase, but that should be our heart. Our heart is, you know, for God to receive the praise, the thanksgiving, the glory. And we need to be really careful, especially in our day and age, of, you know, we have such an emphasis on, on entertainment and such an emphasis on giving, our culture has such an emphasis on giving praise and glory to its stars, whether they're musicians or athletes or, or, or whatever. And in the Christian world, that can often look the same. And we have to be really careful about that, that we're not putting people up on a pedestal. 
you know, a lot of people are looking to a person who's a preacher or Christian artist or whatever, and their trust is there, and their emphasis is there, more so than on Jesus. You know, and, and, and you can find yourself in a little bit of trouble. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you like to hear preach. You know, if the person, if you're, ta- if you're talking and somebody is like, well, so-and-so says this, says this, and it's always back to that one instead of like, but the scripture says, or Jesus says this. I mean, it's fine to quote people. I'm not saying don't quote people. I'm just saying like, and it's, and it's fine to appreciate people, people's teaching and worship and everything that brings us closer to Christ you know, I'm, I'm not knocking all of that, but I'm just saying in terms of our priority and level of emphasis, it needs to be Jesus. Like, there should not be a close second. Jesus and the scriptures. There shouldn't be a close second on your list. Like, there should be, there should be a gap. Okay, there should just be a gap. This, and then down on the floor, we've got some. And each one of us has to wrestle in our own hearts about that issue, about receiving praise and about giving praise. We each have to wrestle with that issue in our own hearts. And sometimes we have to ask other people for help and accountability on that as well. But listen to this. Jesus says, you've set your hope in Moses and basically He's telling them they've read it wrong because Moses wasn't writing it for Moses. Moses was writing it for Christ. But Moses wrote it for Jesus. Moses didn't write it for Moses. Moses didn't write it so everybody would say, we love Moses. Moses wrote it so that people would say, we love Jesus. Do we see the difference there? And that's what Jesus said to him. He says, "In whom you, you know, the one who accuses you is Moses, because Moses would say to them, you've got this wrong. This is not about me. It's about Jesus. Like if Moses had been there, you know, on the stage right here in John chapter five, when Jesus is talking to his religious leaders, Moses would have said, you've read it all wrong. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Follow him. That's what Moses would do. Because ultimately, this is the desire of Moses. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus Jesus says, Moses told you all about me, but if you're not going to believe him... You're not going to believe me either. That is a powerful statement. Again, anybody who is saying, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God, that he's just claiming to be, you know, I mean, he's just a good teacher. This, this, nah, folks. You got John chapter 5. Go on, and we'll have more to come in the next chapters. But it's clear. 
Jesus is clear. Now, and, and it's what's interesting here, he doesn't say, now let me give you a chapter and verse that proves this. There's too many. He says, in a general way. We'll go for just a, a couple here this morning to finish our talk. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Or you shall crush his head and he shall bruise your heel. That's first prophetic words about um, Christ as Savior right after the fall of, of Adam and Eve into sin in the garden. There's a list here about the promise of the seed of Abraham, that in the seed of Abraham, seed singular, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that's, if you just want to write down some verses, Genesis 12, 2 and 3, 22, 18, 26, 4, 28, 14. Like, okay, that was a little fast. I can put that on later for you uh, to look for. So there's a whole list. And we talk about, you know, in his seed, all the families of the earth being blessed. We talk about that one a lot. So I'm not going to belabor the point this morning. This one we looked at a little bit. Um. We've looked at that a good bit, so let me just say that. In Genesis 49, I'll just read verses 8 through 10 of Genesis 49. Um, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's another one. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, Moses saying, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you have asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. A couple more things we can mention among numerous more. The Passover. The Passover points us to Christ. That's the whole point of the Passover, really, is to point us to Christ. That, you know, as the the blood on the doorpost, and it didn't matter the character of the person inside the house. What mattered was that the, the faith was there, that the blood of the lamb was on the, on the doorpost. And it doesn't matter the character or the quality of the person and how bad of a sinner they, they were. When they believe in Jesus, they're covered with the blood of the lamb and they've been made a new creation and everything has changed. There's been forgiveness, redemption. All things are new. The day of atonement. The priestly sacrifices. I mean, 
when you start going there on those things and seeing that those are all pictures and things to point us to Christ, Jesus is, I mean, Christ is, is everywhere in the Old Testament. When you start to see it through that lens. Now, you want to, you know, you want to be careful that we're not just, you know, every, like, there are people who will, I'll just put it this way, we'll quote, find it when it's not there, <laughs> right? So you, you want to be careful that we're not finding it where it's not there, but where it is there, we want to find it. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and speaking with the two disciples. And they say our hearts burned. You know, as he explained, as Jesus explained the, the scriptures to them, their hearts burned. It's beautiful. But Jesus explained to them from the law of Moses and the law of prophets, the things of the scriptures concerning himself. It's there. It's powerful. It's beautiful. And Jesus left them with that question. Next chapter, it's like moving on from there. Right? Jesus goes to another place. He left them with that question. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Even more so today. You see, Jesus is frustrated with them because they didn't believe what Moses had said about him. Now imagine. We have today the Old Testament. We also have the Gospels. The letters written to the you know, early church by the apostles, we have even so much more. And the sad thing is that, is that there are people who will, will read all of this and go, no. You know, and, and we hear, you know, we hear often you know, these stories of quote unquote people's. Um, deconversion or they, they lose faith. And I wonder how much of that is rooted in not being taught the truth of the scriptures to begin with. And, and just kind of this, if we can just put it this way, a largely lazy approach to faith that is pretty common and popular. And to where You know, we've traded a deep search and understanding for the scriptures for a, like, how do you feel? And the problem with that, like, I mean, again, how you feel is important. I'm not saying how you feel isn't important. But what I'm saying is our feelings about things fluctuate a lot. Truth doesn't fluctuate. So we have to be grounded. Now, whichever deal you kind of grew up in is kind of what you tend to like kick back against. I think there's a certain natural you know, deal to that. So you know, there's people who grew up in very emotional, driven 
you know, settings. And so they're like, fooey on emotion, like give me just like the facts, right? And then there's, there's um, those of us who grew up in, in more cerebral contexts. And it can be like, well, I know what's up. I want to, I want to feel, you know, I want to feel, I want to feel something, you know. So we, we, you don't have to decide, like you don't have to pick, you know, is that one of those deals where you have to go like, where I can, I can feel and be in the spirit or I can have a deep understanding of the word that I, but I can't do both. I, like, that's ludicrous. Like I would hope like a deep burning desire in one's heart for, for Jesus would drive us into the word to understand that more. And I would hope that, that a deep desire to understand the scripture would want to drive us to the feet of Jesus and burn in our hearts. Like that those things would you know, benefit each, you know, one another because we're whole. You know, God made us physically emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Like, he gave all of that to us and everything is to be engaged in the, the worship and walking with Jesus. It's all to be there. It's all to be engaged. And we run into big time troubles when it's, you know, 90% one and 10% the other. Whichever way, whichever way you go on that, you, don't, you go 90% emotion, 10% understanding. You see, there's things in life called trials and difficulties. And if you're 90% emotion and 10% understanding, that's not going to be good. With trials and difficulties of life. Same thing is true on the other side. If you're 90% knowledge and 10% feelings, when it comes to your walk with Jesus, you're just not going to have, you're going to be missing out on a lot of joy that you could have in Christ. You know, so, so we, what we want, Jesus said what? The Father is searching for those who will worship in what? Spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. And so may God do that in us, like drive us to the scriptures and drive us to the feet of Jesus. And when, when that is the case, it's beautiful. There are just a couple of dangers, just very quickly to finish with this. If, when you just go on the knowledge side, there's a pride that comes with that. And, and that can hurt yourself and others. And when you just go on the emotional side, there's an ignorance that comes with that. And that can hurt yourself and others. Right? So those are the dangers. So we want to be fully embracing the scriptures and the feet of Jesus. Fully embracing. Because the scriptures, the purpose of them, to testify about Jesus. And scriptures have a purpose to put us to Jesus. But, you know, there's a lot of times when people want the, you know, emotional 
part or they, they, they or even what they think is just at the feet of Jesus, but without the knowledge of the scripture. And then that gets really funny because it ends up being a different Jesus with different priorities than the ones that Jesus has. Like if we're, if we're going to really, you can't, can't know Jesus fully without the scripture. That's not possible. And so we have to get in there with the word. Get in there at his feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, that the law of Moses testifies to him, that you testify of him, his works testify of him, his death on the cross and his resurrection testify of him. We are thankful for the life that is available in your name, Jesus, through faith. And we're thankful that when we have believed that you change us from the inside out so that we can live in a way that pleases you. And so, Father, by your spirit, we pray that you will drive us to the feet of Jesus and into your scriptures, and that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit and that, Jesus, we would see you fully in it, and we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, we thank you that this morning as we take the bread and the cup, we have the privilege to lift up your name. We have the privilege to honor your name. We have the privilege to worship your name. So please examine our hearts and cleanse us, wash our feet so that we can take freely the bread and the cup and give you the, the worship and honor that you were due. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.